You are listening to the Revive Church Podcast. We pray that this sermon blesses you and enhances your walk with God. Feel free to come worship with us on a Sunday morning, or you can learn more about us online at revivechurch.org. Good morning, Revive. Happy almost new year here. As everyone's been talking about, um, today's New Year's Eve, and that and tomorrow is the day of a new year. So you know what that means. I know Frank knows what that means. That means the gyms are going to be packed. People are going to be packed up in there, and the regulars there are going to get kind of annoyed. But you know, every year we, we go through Thanksgiving, Christmas, um, New Year's, all the different holidays, and we have this time with friends and family that we enjoy celebrating with them. But you know, for a lot of people, this, can, this time of year can be emotionally draining. Um, as people are getting stressed out, they're o- overwhelmed by trying to uh, get everything prepared. Um, they're on edge with uh, trying to meet the expectations of their friends and family as they're uh, trying to uh, go to the different celebrations. And, and, um, and then for some, there's sadness that comes about. When they look around and they're comparing their, themselves, their celebrations to, to other people, and they wish that they had the lives and, and, the, and just the, the fantastic celebrations like, like others. And then, this is all, since this is all towards the end of the year, um, just like Russ was talking about, we, we, people look back, they evaluate the year that we just went through, and they, they, they look at all the different things that they have, have accomplished. But they've also, they also look back at, and, and look at the things they wish they could have done and, they, and look at the things they wish they would have done better. And so all these, these different things come together and then they can leave people feeling kind of down and defeated. And so we take all of this and this leads into a new year. It's a time where people can say, all right, I'm over all these things. It's time for change in my life. It's a new year, it's going to be a new me. And so people make these New Year's resolutions. And um, so they're taking, taking, doing these resolutions where they're looking to make change in their lives. They're making firm decisions on whether they're going to do something or not do something to change their life. And how does that usually work out for people? It doesn't usually work out too well, does it? I think statistics say that only 8% of people successfully commit to sticking with their, their New Year's resolutions. I mean, people have these great ideas, but they have a tough time following through and staying committed to them. So in regard to all of this, all of this going on, today I want us to focus on a couple of things. I want us to focus on, for those of us that are followers of Christ, our goal is to look at God's Word, because we're going to be reading God's Word today. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, I put a bunch in the back row there in the back corner of the seats. It's important to have a Bible and to read along and not just believe exactly what I'm saying, but just to see it in the Word for yourself. And then take one with you if you don't have a Bible, because it's, we need to be in our Word. So we're going to be, so our goal is to look at what the Word has to say. And, see, and, and then look at what we need to do in our lives and what we need to work on. And to remember 
the standard that we're called to live by. And then the other side of that is we're going to be looking at the matter of taking that seriously with the way that we, we, we walk, um, the way that we live our lives and our walk. And for you, you that are not followers of Christ this morning, if you have not believed in him to be your Savior, the Savior of your soul, and not bowed down to him to make him Lord over your life, then I would, just, I would ask that you, you listen and you read. Um, take in what the Bible says. The Bible is the living, breathing word of God. Read carefully what God's word has to say about himself and what it has to say about you. It has to say about all of us. And then try to understand why Jesus is so important. Let's go ahead and pray before we continue on. Lord, we we just thank you for this day. This just another day of life that you've given us, Lord. After all, you are our creator, Lord. You gave us this life. You've given us everything, Lord. We have nothing to boast boast in, Lord, except for you, because you are the, our provider. Lord, we just thank you for this time that we can come together as people that love you or people that are searching you out and just to worship you, Lord, to worship you with song and to be able to worship you in, in reading your word, preaching your word, and, and just, again, trying to reevaluate our lives as, as we're coming into this new year, Lord. Lord, we, we want to take our walk seriously. Lord, you did a serious thing for us. Lord, you had your son die for us when we didn't even deserve it. Lord, you showed us your grace. And we want to respond to that with ad, uh, attitudes of gratitude and, again, seriousness, Lord. And so, Lord, we just thank you, and I pray that this time that you would open up our hearts and, and so that we can, we can accept, we can see, and we can understand what your word has to say. And Lord, that we wouldn't be fooled by all the things and the, the, what the world tells us, but that we would know that only truth comes from you. Lord, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, New Year's resolutions. You know, there's a lot of New Year's resolutions that are pretty common over the years. Um, some of those, like we, we know, what, what are they? They're maybe just lose weight. Uh, maybe stop smoking, save your money, but you spend, you know, have better spending habits. But you know, something I found interesting reading was that the number one New Year's resolution for people um, for 2017, and they're saying that people are looking at for 2018, has changed. It's this this for these two years. It's to be a better person, a morally good person. So people are saying that their resolution is they want to be good. They want to be a better person. Now, when I read that, when I read that people wanted to be good, you know, a good person, the, the thing I'm, I, I was thinking about is, okay, well, that's fantastic. People want to be good. But what does the world say that makes a good person? And why do they want to be good? And, by the way, it works out great that this is the number one re- resolution for people because uh, that just happens to be uh, exactly what we want to look at as being Christians, right? We want, to, we want to live lives as being good people, but that means it's something a lot different to us than what the world clings to, doesn't it? And so that's what we, we want to look at. 
So again, what does the world say that means a good, uh, a good person is? And well, to give, give us some insight into that, I was looking at an article from USA Today, um, so, which is very credible. Um, but they, but it said, the title of this article was, this is good, it says, Are you a good person? Well, it says, Morality experts say this is how to find out. So I wanted to find out. So, I, first of all, I find that label pretty funny because, well, kind of, for me, that would be scary. To be label myself as a morality expert, I, I don't think, I, I just couldn't be comfortable doing that. But anyways, the article quoted mainly uh, professors, college professors, university professors, and then they call, uh, quoted a, a female rabbi and a male reverend. And so they got these different perspectives, but mainly professors, these um, morality experts. And so the, the, the article actually starts off surprisingly with some, some, some truth. It's good. It starts off with some truth, and it starts off with a statement that a Cornell University uh, professor made when he said this. He said, evidence suggests we're all born with some innate sense of morality and fairness, which makes us sensitive to the distress of others. So keep in mind, this, this professor is not saying that we're all born good. He's just saying that we are born with a sense of morality. We're, we're born with a sense of right and wrong. But he says in regard to dealing with others. And so then from there, the article suggests that because everyone was brought up, uh, had a different upbringing, they're brought up in different environments, people tend to value certain morals. They take certain morals and then they, they value those, and then they choose when and who they're going to apply those morals to. And then the conclusion of the article was that to answer their qu the question, well, how do you know if you're a good person? What makes a good person? Was that if you don't, you need to, if you're going to be a good person, you, you need to not just apply those morals that you choose that you, to value to all the people that you're close to, like your friends and family, but you need to apply them to everyone. And then you'll know you're a good person if you're applying them to everyone. You know, and keep in mind, this, this is just a single article, just to give us a perspective of, of how the world thinks. But what are some of the things we notice in, in what, they, what they've said here in this? Because there's some holes in it, aren't there? I mean, basically, it just said that we have a sense of right and wrong, but it's all subjective about what actually is right and wrong. They say that as long as you live by the morals that you value, you choose, so I choose for myself what to value, I say this is good, and then as long as I take those and I apply them to everyone, then you know that you're good. But again, if each person is left to, to decide that, then there really is no standard. There really, no one can tell you that what you're doing is right or wrong, can they? You, you choose for yourself, and it, and it doesn't work. There has to be something that all of creation looks to to make that decision for us. There can only be one place that decides what right and wrong is. I mean, it, it, or else, it, it, again, it just doesn't, doesn't work. But who has that right? Who has that right to tell creation what's right and wrong? And of course, that would be the creator. Whoever created us has that right. Whoever created us 
would know us best. And whoever created us would know what's best for us, what's good and bad for us. And now going back a little bit to, to, that, to that article, this professor said that evidence suggests. So I, I'm not sure what evidence he's talking about in this, in this article, but I, for us as Christians this morning, where, where do we find our evidence? Where, where do we find the truth to make sense of everything in our lives? We find that in the text. The text that is absolute truth and that is God's word. And that's why we read this every Sunday. That's why we should be reading this every day. Because that, this, is, this is our guide for our lives. This is how we know our God and how we can know who we are. Even though we think we know who we are, we don't. This is in God, God's infallible word. So the professor said that we are born with a sense of morality and fairness... But now what does God's word tell us? <clears throat> let's check his word because that's, that's where we know where truth is. Let's, see, let's, see, let's try to back that up and see what he, if, if, if the word is in line with that. So let's start off by looking in the word at what God tells us about who is good and who is bad. Open up your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 3. We're going to start here. In Romans, chapter, in Romans 3, Paul is talking to the church there and explaining that it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or, a Gentile or Greek you know, or anyone else, that we're all the same when it comes to sin. We're all the same when it comes to doing the bad things that separate us from God. So let's, go, let's read, uh, looking at Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 9, and we're going to read all the way to verse 18. So verse 9 says that what then... Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jew and Greeks are all under sin. All of us. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God, and all have turned aside together, they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. Let's just stop right there for a second. So God's word, God is, is telling us that there is none who does good. We're looking at to be a good person. There's none that can do good. There's none, not even one. But why are people this way? Why do, why do people sin, and why don't they want to seek God out? Well, verse 18 can give us some insight into that. Verse 18 says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. They have no fear of God. They aren't scared of God's wrath, and they don't care about God and they, what He asks of us. They don't have no care for Him, because they have no respect for Him. They have no reverence. They care about themselves more than they care about the God that created them. And so this already sets a foundation for us. What the world 
is saying contradicts what God is telling us in His Word. We just read Romans 3.10 that said that none is righteous, not even one. You know, there's nothing a man can do on his own, which we'll, we'll, we'll understand in a bit. There's nothing a man can do on his own to do good, to be a, a good person. Now, good. Now, so we're talking about good. What is good in the first place? We talked about earlier that how it just doesn't work out if it's left to each of us to, to decide all of that. It's up to the one that created us. It's up to our God. When the first five books of the Old Testament, God lays out all kinds of commands to his people Israel, and that's also where we find the Ten Commandments, uh, which people are f- very familiar with. And throughout the, the, the Bible, these commands are commonly known as God's law, or simply the law. And so some might think, well, God gave this law to the Jews, so this doesn't apply to me. You know, and what about the people that have never read the law? Like, how are they going to even know if they're doing what they're doing is right or wrong? Well, Romans chapter 2 tells us that God's law isn't just for the Jew, but his standards of what is good and right applies to all people. So, but how does this work? Well, Romans chapter 2, um, starting at verse 14, says that for when Gentiles, so these are people that are not the Jews, that when, when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves. And right here, focus on this one, verse 15. It says that in that they, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them on the day when, according to the gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So we're all born with a conscience. A conscience meaning with knowledge. With knowledge of what, though? It's, it's with the knowledge of right and wrong. And, you know, I think a lot of people whether they follow God, if, if, whether the, the, they have made Jesus their Lord, they will agree that, oh, we have a conscience. But they don't give credit to God for that and point that to his law. They just point that to whatever feelings they have about what they feel is right or wrong. And it doesn't really go anywhere that's truthful. It, goes, it doesn't go and give God the glory. So it says that God's, God wrote his law right on our hearts, in our hearts. We have that conscience. That, that law is written on our hearts so that we know right and wrong. He gave us this mechanism to convict us, to feel bad when, we, when we're, we're going to disobey him. When we go against what he's commanded us. So when that professor said that we are born with, a, some, with an innate sense of morality, he was right. But God's the one that gave that to us. And so we say, okay, there's not a single good person. God makes us aware when we're doing bad things, uh, and he gives us commands to follow. And then, then what? If we follow that com- those commands, then we're good? Wait a second, I've already messed up, and I haven't followed these perfectly. I've been disobedient 
on a lot of those, actually. And I don't think I can follow all those perfectly. What, so wait, as long as I follow them as many, as many as I can, does that mean I'm a good person? We talked about needing a standard. Well, what is that standard? Well, the truth is, God's standard is righteousness. He is perfect, completely without sin. And to be with him in his presence, that's just what we need to be. We need to be righteous. We need to be perfect. And if we're, if, if we're not right with him, then the penalty of our sin, our disobedience to him, is death. And not just physical death, but eternal separation from our God. And so we think, well, if we need to be perfect, I can't be totally perfect and follow God's law. I can't, I can't follow all the laws that God has given me to do, and, I, and, I, I, and I'm, I'm honest about that. Well, then you're on the right track. Because you can't. We, none of us can. And the Bible in Romans 8 tells us that. It says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We can't do it. We can't live up to the law, but God knows that. The purpose of the law is to make us aware of our sin and our need to depend on God. In Romans 3, looking at verse 19 and on, it says, Now we know that whatever this law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may be accountable to God. Because right here it says, Because the works of the law... Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. If we work to, to try to fulfill the law, we will, not be, we will not be good enough. We will not be justified in God's eyes. But it says, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We are aware that we are sinful men. Sin, sinful when we, when we see that we cannot live up to God's standards. So again, the law is just there to show us that we do sin. That our sin is serious. It's serious, and there's nothing we can do about it by ourselves, on our own, to measure up to God's standard. It's only through God that we can do this. It's only through God, and specifically through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Galatians 2.16 tells us that, it says, Nevertheless, knowing what a man is, not justified by works, just like we said, Man is not justified, is not made, doesn't look right to God by his works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus. So we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. And that right there is what the world is missing. And that is the most important thing that everyone needs to understand. That we are good people. We are justified. We are righteous. We are by our faith in Christ. It's, no, it's nothing we can do but putting our faith in Christ who redeemed us. It is only in Christ that we be, can be called a good person. It is only through him that we are justified again. It is only 
through him, through Christ, that we can be saved both from a physical, um, physical death where from the physical death that we're supposed to be paying for those sins that he paid for us. We're still going to die, but we are also, he paid for that eternal death that we should be living out because of our sin. Because of his death that he paid for us in our place, we can have eternal life and not be separated from our God. We can be in our God's presence for an eternity and worshiping him. Instead of paying that debt that, again, that we actually deserve because of our constant disobedience to God. But God's grace, God, He is so gracious and loving that He didn't want that for us. He wants us to come to Him. But you know, in order for people to believe in Jesus, to come to Him, to, to be justified, to, to, to have faith in Him, they need to understand how good God is and how bad they are. They need to have an understanding that there's a need for a Savior. Again, for those of you that have not given your lives to the Lord, have not believed that God raised Jesus from the dead, take this to heart. God gave us his law because he knows what's best for us. These, These things that he wants from us are best for us. Because he, cre- he created us and He loves us. He wants to have a close relationship with us, with His creation. And he, and he wants us to lean on Him and to live for Him. He loves us so much that He had His only begotten Son die for us. And that if we put our faith in Him, we will be saved. And that right there is the good news. That's the good news for all of creation. That in, our, in, in their flesh, they're enemies to God. We're in our sin, we're enemies to God. But God had his son die for those that are enemies to him, that are constantly disobedient to him. And again, for you that are Christians this morning, that you are followers of Christ, if he is the Lord of your life, we have to be reminded of this gospel continually. We have to be reminded of this good news. You know, I've had, I've heard from multiple Christians, actually people I've known personally, they say some phrases like this. They say, well, that's just a bunch of foundational stuff. You know, I, I already know that. Well, I, that's just stuff for new believers. You know, that's really dangerous thinking, and that shows a lot of what's going on inside. Because if you're thinking that this morning, you're thinking, well, I already know that stuff. Well, you know, do you really? Do you really know that stuff? Can everyone around you see that in your life that you really believe it? It's important to be constantly reminded about God's grace. Constantly reminded that he saved us from a death that we deserve. So important that we need to be reminded by it daily. Once once we're saved, our mind is being transformed to think about the things of God, to, to look at life in a way that only God does, that's 
goes according to His will. And we receive the Holy Spirit, and we, we're led by that. We're led to do what's right. We're capable now of, being, of doing good things. We're capable of doing what's right. To do the will of God. And to, do, to run away from our sin. But you know, Paul makes it clear in Romans 7 that as long as we're here in these bodies, there is a struggle. Our sinful flesh will always will be battling against that with, with the godly desires we now have. And so we have to remember, we have to remember not to depend on our own strength, but to depend on the strength that comes from God. You know, John 15, 4 and 5, Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We are to bear fruit as Christians. Again, people should be able to see that we, what we believe. They should see it in action. See it in our lives. They should be able to see these godly characteristics coming from us. But that can only happen when we are abiding in Christ. As Jesus said, apart from him, you can do nothing. Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. When we put our faith in Jesus, he lives in us. He lives within us and he's the one that guides us. You know, as Christians, we are called to do something after we're saved. We're called to do many things. But Ephesians 5, again, Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2, and then verse 8 we're going to be looking at, they, they tell us a very important thing that we need to do. It says in verse 1 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, says, therefore, be imitators of God. We're supposed to imitate God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And then verse 8, where we get our title from today, it says that for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And here's the command, it says, walk as children of light. So we are to be imitators of God. He's our, he is our standard. As we said, He is the standard that the world is to live by. We are called to live the rest of our lives working towards being more and more like Him and less like ourselves. Less like our sin, sinful, fleshly selves. And as James tells us, we aren't just to be hearers of the word, but we're, we're to be doers. Doers of the word. We're to do what this, the word tells us in here. 
So are we taking our walks seriously? Are we, are we doing it? Are we walking as children of the light? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in, is in Christ, he is a new crea- creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. New things have come. You know, as everybody was saying, um, later in the service, just a little bit, after the uh, fifth song, we're going to be having a great time. We're going to be celebrating because Darren and Janine are going to be baptized. And you know, as we're going to be celebrating again, as, as, as they're going to be back here, they're going to be making a public proclamation that they're going to follow the Lord, you know, that they are following the Lord and they just want it to be known, and that He will be Lord over their lives, that, that they know that He is their Savior and that He is their Lord. And that's an exciting thing for us that are Christians. As we see more people being adopted into the family of God. And so they're, they're going to be looking at, and I'm connecting this too because they're going to be looking at how we just, we just saw where in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that because of Christ, those old things in their life have now passed away. And there's new things to come. They're going to be walking as imitators of God. And you know, since they have come to our church, I don't know about you guys, but they have been an encouragement to me. Watching them, talking to them. They've been an encouragement in the way that they've responded to Jesus in their lives. And this should serve as an example to all of us here, actually. As they understood God's love for them and His grace, they looked at their lives at all the areas of their life that were those old things that were maybe not in line with what God's will for them and they just walked away they said nope I'm walking away from this now they said you are so important to me God you're more important than what I want I'm doing this for you now I love you more they didn't choose a special day they didn't need to do it in a special way. They just said, I want to live for you now, God. And that's what they did. And again, what an amazing example for us. And what a blessing it is to have them part of our church family. And you know, they really are an amazing example because this is how we are called to live, yet it's hard to see that from a lot of people nowadays. As Christians, we should be committed to imitating Christ. Because when, he, when God came down in the form of a man, he lived a perfect sin, sinless life, sin-free life. He was so humble that he submitted to God all the way to the point of death. And so when we see Christ, that is our true example of how we are to live as, as, as Christians. That is our model. So we need to be, as Christians, we need to be committed to imitating Christ. And that means always changing, never making excuses about who we are. Never, never using our parents, never using our culture, never using our 
situations and say, no, I can never change. No, because now you're saying that Christ is not good enough to change you. It does not remove the difficulties from your life, but do not tell God that he's not good enough to work in your life. You know, each year people make these resolutions to make changes in their lives. But we need to depend on God and make a daily resolution that we are going to live for Him. You know, so much of our our society's decision-making is based on feeling now. Feelings. They decide what's right based on what they feel. And as Christians, I don't want us to be a part of that that statistic of only being 8% of successfully committing to things. We need to do what's important and actually commit and follow through in reverence to our God. Not for anybody else, but because we have reverence for our God. We need to live lives of integrity. You know, in Matthew 5, Jesus knew that the Pharisees were making so many false vows, they they knew that they couldn't make an oath or a promise or swear. You know, they didn't want to do anything by God's name. So they started putting things in place. But Jesus made it clear to, to everyone in his Sermon on the Mount. He just basically just told them to just stop. Stop making all these empty promises. And just do what you need to do. Do what you're called to do. And he says, Matthew uh, 5 verse 33 says, Again you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. So only yes, yes, or no, no. Let's stand out from the world and be committed to being imitators of Christ, imitators of God. Let's have a love for God and his, his law and a disgust for our sin. So just want to run from those things and, and just hatred for our sin. Like David did in, in Psalm 19. He was so serious about his sin that he asked God to forgive him for the sins that were hidden, that he didn't even know about himself. Because he knew that God knew him better than he knew himself. In Psalm 19, it says, starting at verse 7, it says that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The law, so we're talking about this word. This word is perfect. God's law, looking... His word is, again, what guides our lives. It restores our soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, they are much fine gold, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? This is what he's talking about right here. Like, how can I know all the things that are going on with me? But it says, equip me of, of my 
hidden faults. Please help me with the things I, I don't, I'm already, I'm sinning against you and I don't even know of, Lord. Please help me with those, he's saying. And he says, also keep your servant from pr- pr- presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. And then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of, the great, of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, there was a lot that we kind of went over here. We're jumping all over the place. But, so I want to kind of bring things together, everything together for us now. As we start the new year, I want us to keep some things in mind. Again, we are called to live as imitators of Christ. We always need to be reminded of that. And we need to stay committed to what God has called us to. And we need to do this by abiding in Christ, who is our perfect example of righteousness, and by consistently reading God's Word. You know, we do not want to get caught up in the waves of, 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 of the world and society where, again, like I said, everything is based on feeling. You know, there, there are two standards that you can live by. You either live by God's standard, which is righteousness, or you live by your own standard, which is your self-righteousness. And that's what the world and everybody else out there wants to, that's what they want to live by. And everybody is so offended now by everything because they, they don't want you telling them if what they're doing is right or wrong. And they don't want to tell you that you're doing anything right or wrong because they don't want to have to change for themselves. And so they want, everybody wants to live in this self-righteousness and, and put their faith in their feelings and 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 completely just decide everything and go against all of reality now as far as, well, if I feel it, it's good. If I feel it, it's right. If I feel it, that's what truth is. But we know that's, that's, that's not true at all. Only God's word is true. And only he sets the standard for us. And that standard is righteousness. And we can, live, we can only live up to that by putting our faith in Christ Jesus, who died for us. Now, we talked about the importance of being in God's Word, consistently being in God's Word. Well, if you have some sin that you're trying to work through, you're trying to just fight that off, well, we need to, we need to fall in love with God. Make Him more important than that sin. We need to be in His Word and give it to Him. Psalm 119 explains the power of the word to fight our sin. Psalm 119, verse 9 says, it asks the question, it says, how can a, man, how can a young man keep his way pure? He says, it says, by keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. And it's, it says, do not let your commandments, do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. We have to keep our lives according to God's word. We have to be in his word and treasure it so that we, will, we, so that we can not sin against him. Our, when, we, when we're treasuring his word, our focus is no longer on us. It's, it's on him. And we rely on him for the strength to be able to get, fight those sins. And the next thing I wanted to say is that New Year's resolutions aren't bad. But 
as Christians, what are our motives behind them? What are the motives that we have when we make them? Are we wanting to change our lives to bring glory to God? Or is there another reason? We, we make these, these vows, these, these um, firm decisions for change. What is our reason? And if we're going to make these resolutions, then let's, let's be good examples to the world and commit to them. Let our statements be yes, yes, or, or no, no. Let's live out the way that God has called us to live. And last, with, with all this, this, this time of year, with all the people making these resolutions, with everybody coming out from the different holidays and maybe feeling emotionally drained, let's use this as an opportunity to witness to people, witness to them, witness to the world as we're called to do. A society seems to be wor- so searching out, searching out what it means to be a good person. Let's love them and share truth with them. Share truth that we are all sinners, enemies of God, in need of a Savior, and that God loves us so much that He, he provided us with a Savior. And this Savior was crucified for us and he was raised from the dead, paying the price for our sins. You know, again, people are offended by everything. They're going to be offended by a lot of people, even though deep down, because, just remember too, God has written his law on our hearts, so and that's, that's everyone's. We have that conscience. So even though people are offended when you start telling them, you know, you're in need of a Savior, I'm in need of a Savior, let God work in their hearts, because he, he, he has already written his law there. Lean on him in your, in your discussions with people, and never forget to love as you're doing that. And again, we share this truth, this gospel, this good news with people. We, we, we want to use this time as that, an opportunity to do that, because we care about people. We, we care about their souls. And even though not everyone will be saved, 1 Timothy tells us that God still desires for all to be saved. And so that's our desire too. And so as we share these things with people, as we share the gospel, we share what God did for us, how he showed us his grace, his love for us, it is my prayer, too, that we would also remember, as Christians, we would continually remember and live it out. We remember that everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we, again, we thank you for your word. Lord, we, th- we thank you so much for the fact, again, that, you, Lord, about this, this good news that you gave us your son to die in our place when you didn't have to do that, Lord. That's an amazing love. Lord, I would just pray, though, that 
you would continually work in us, that we would continually rely on you as we live our lives. The standard does not change. Because Christ died for us, it's, we, don't, we don't just stop. No, Lord, we continue moving forward. There should be change in our lives. We continue towards that standard, standard of righteousness, imitating you. Lord, let us not forget that. Give us a passion for your word so that we have a passion for you, Lord. You're our creator and our redeemer. You're our savior. You're our Lord, the Lord of our lives. Lord, I just pray that you would be with us throughout the, this, this coming year and that, that, that w- this would be the charge that we have for each, each ourselves and all those, those around us in this, in this body, Lord. To live our lives for you and count everything else as worthless, count everything else as loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.